1: Oh, how things have changed. The story has come out overnight that John Rahm is, in fact, on his way to live golf. Uh, Bob Harrick's just written a piece in Sports Illustrated, always very generous with his time, and he joins us from the States this morning. Morning, Bob.
2: Hello. How are you doing?
1: Very well. Uh, what's the initial reaction to this in in the f- hours since it's uh, actually all become official?
2: Well, I think it's, it's um, you know, sort of what, what you just said there. I mean, um, First of all, this has been kicked around for for a week plus. Um, there have been indications for, you know, the last seven to ten days that this might be happening, and and it, and it really it really took on on a stronger life earlier today uh, here in the states on Thursday, and um, you know I, I think the the reaction is all over the all over the map. It depends on which side of this you are. If you're someone who really supports live, they feel this is validation. Um, those on the PGA tour side are, are upset. Some of them are going to cite what you just did there, that he's, that he's gone back on what he said, you know, that, um, he said he didn't care about the money. He didn't like the format. Well, you know, he's taken the money and he's going to go play that format. Now we haven't spoken to him yet. He's not, he's not been made available. it will be very interesting to hear what he has to say. Does he think an agreement is close? Is that why he did it? Does he have some issues with PGA tour and Jay Monaghan, the commissioner, uh, so, many, so many questions that I think a lot of people have and, and we're not sure about right now.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you that, uh, Bob. What do you think his main motivation here is behind making this
2: move? Well, I mean, I don't think you can discount the money no matter what he said. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, reported to be uh, nine figures uh, up front, you know. So that, that means you're talking about $100 million, U.S. dollars, right there. And then maybe a, a payment, another payment per year. And, um, you know, that's a lot of money. I mean, you're, you're, you'd have a hard time making that in golf, even with endorsement. So um, that's part of it. But my guess, my, my gut tells me he's not happy with the way this framework agreement is going. Um, he might not be happy with his place or how he's been viewed. I mean, uh, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy have been very out front with all of this. And maybe, you know, maybe he's upset that his opinion hasn't been hasn't been uh, uh, sought. Uh, Maybe he feels that as part of this agreement that he wasn't going to cash in like others will. Uh, You know, this new this this new entity that the tour wants to form, whether it's with the public investment fund or not, is a for profit entity in which they have said the players will get equity stakes in it. Well, maybe he felt like, hey, that's that's a pittance. That's nothing. Why are we doing that? You know, I mean, th- this is conjecture on my part, but there has to be more to it than the money when he was so against it all along. So where
1: are we at at the moment with this so-called agreement? There was a December 31 deadline. It doesn't look like that is going to be achieved. on the On the ground over there, what's the feeling about where this, Suppose the deal is right, is at right now.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it it sounds tenuous. I mean, it just sounds like there's so much they have to get done, and you know, we've got two weeks roughly, a little more than two weeks, and and the holidays. I mean, how does that happen? You know, and uh, and I mean, look, the the, the uh, December 31st always seemed. To me, like it wasn't long enough. This is a monumental thing they're trying to put together here. You're bringing together three entities, the DP World Tour as well. You're you're trying to value the assets of each, and then when you're talking about a billion dollars in investment, you know the tour, the PGA Tour, has sought private equity from other companies, whether that's to replace the PIF or go alongside them. If some company is going to put in that kind of money, well, then they're going to expect a return. Well, how do you get that? You've got to have some sort of big um, system, uh, whether it's a competition, whether it's a, a series of worldwide events, whether it's live teams folded into this new entity, which of course the live teams they believe have value. That would be a way to get a return. You know, but nobody knows. There's been no inkling as to what this might look like, and maybe that's why Rahm was concerned. Maybe he's like, "This is a farce. We're not going. We're not getting anywhere." And 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 why, why don't I just go take the money now?
1: Off the back of John Rahm moving to live golf, we're speaking to Bob Harrick, who covers golf for Sports Illustrated. Has wrote, written a piece on it uh, in the last few hours. We know you got a good relationship with Tiger. Of course, you wrote the book, Tiger and Phil: Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Have you? Have you had a chance to have a chat to Tiger in recent times about Live and, and what he might feel about this move in particular.
2: Well, I was in the Bahamas last week when he played and he was asked specifically about guys going to live. And, you know, he sort of danced around it. He said, given the current climate, what's been going on, he, he you know, he wouldn't be that surprised if, if some things happen, which suggested to me that he understands that maybe there's, there's um, there's some issues uh, going on with with, you know, behind the scenes with where we all stand right now. And maybe he doesn't feel good about it. Maybe he understands why somebody might be frustrated. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, uh, what what he has to say about that when the, when the time comes, because because clearly, um, you know, he's not a supporter of live. He's fought. He's fought very hard you know, to support the PGA Tour. And my guess is he's not going to be too happy about how this went down.
1: So you now got three of the last five major winners have gone to Live Golf, our own Cameron Smith, Brooks Kepka, and now John Rahm. Is, this, is John going the biggest blow to the PGA Tour so far?
2: Well, this certainly is a big one. I, I don't know if it's the biggest. I think the cumulative loss over the last, almost two years it was probably bigger than, than Rom in, in himself. But when you look at the timing of this with the agreement, trying to get this agreement done, you're talking about a guy who's, he won in the first three months of the year uh, of, of 2023. He won three big, actually in the first two months, he won three big PJ tour events, the century, the American express. And, um, and, and the Genesis, which is Tigers tournament at Riviera. I don't know how this will work, but in theory, he won't ret- He will not be able to uh, defend those titles. He will not be able to play at those events. I mean, that's a blow to the PGA tour. we have just lost the masters champion, a very popular player ranked. Uh, I guess he's third in the world. He's it's, uh, it's, it's Scotty Scheffler, Rory and, and, and Rom. So, um, you know, that's a blow. And, and there's talk that he's going to get his own team. Well, if he does, that must mean some other guys might be coming with him. You know, and, and, and the, the, the bad thing about this is is now we have a fractured game. I mean, they, they, they need to figure out a way to bring everybody together so everybody can play together. You know, um, it's it's no good that Cam Smith isn't playing in the Players' Championship, which he won, or, you know, at, at the Century that he won a couple of years ago, or any of the other tournaments. That he would like to play, and I understand why the PGA Tour took a hard line, you know. Um, but but yet, these sides need to figure it out because it's. I don't think overall this is good.
1: Do these big names that you mentioned there that you know can't defend certain tournaments that they've won? Do you think they've almost taken a calculated risk, saying, okay, this is the this is the situation at the moment. The PGA Tour has taken their hard line, but eventually, things will change, and we'll be able to. Go and play in those tournaments again.
2: I think Rom has certainly taken that uh, that 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 calculation um, because I, that's one of the things I would love to be able to ask him if we get a chance to talk to him. Is do you see a deal coming together? Because think about it, you know, he, maybe he feels like I'll cash in now, I'll take the money, and then um, and and we'll get the, we'll, we'll, within the next year we'll get this all resolved. And I'll, I'll I'll cash in, and then I'll be back out there playing those tournaments anyway. It's quite possible that that's that's what he's that's what he's thinking. I can't say for certain because I don't know, you know. But I mean, it, it'd be it'd be interesting if he answers that, if he talks about that at all. And and I, frankly, that might be a way forward here. Maybe he feels he's forcing their hand.
1: Do you expect him to speak about it anytime soon?
2: Well, Liv has said that they're going to have a um, conference call uh, here in the next hour, but they didn't say who it would be with. They didn't say what it was about. I think we can all surmise what it's about. But I mean, is it is it with one of their executives, or is it with Rob himself? I mean, I don't think we know. So that's the next thing. To, to the next the next thing that's going to happen here soon. Hopefully, it's going to be Rob, so we can ask him the questions and get this you know, get, get some detail here right away.
1: So where does this all leave the boss of the PGA Tour, Jay Monaghan? I mean, initially he was pretty dismissive of the threat of Live Golf. Now he's lost another one of his big stars to Live Golf. It doesn't look like this deal is going to be struck anytime soon. Where, where does it leave his position?
2: Well, I think I think it's, it's up in the air. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with um, – what happens with the framework agreement and are the players happy with it? If there is no agreement and if there's still a divide and live golf moves on as it has, I think there's going to be some upset people. And, you know, it might, it might cost them. I I don't know. You know, we've never had that before the PGA tour amazingly has had just four commissioners in its history and none of them have ever left the job on bad terms. You know, they, they, uh, you know, they, 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 the, the first commissioner was, was, was Joe Dye, who, who used to be the USGA president. He was sort of, this was in the late 60s when the, when the PGA Tour first became. And he held the job kind of as a placeholder for a few years. And Dean Beeman became, you know, the first true real commissioner that, that affected change. And, you know, he had the job for, you know, what, uh, you know, 15 years or so. Tim Fincham had it for twenty, and they, they basically passed it on to these guys. It was it was kind of understood that that who the next guy was going to be. We knew Jay Monahan was being groomed for the job when he made when he was made deputy commissioner. Well, right now there is no deputy commissioner, and there's never been a situation where the guy's been forced out. You know, so um, it's um, it's pretty it's pretty pretty wild to think about. It's just it's just uh, very very unique times in, in golf.
1: Just one quick one before I let you go, Bob. Uh, There was whispers in Australia earlier this week that Jason Day might be considering a move to live. Is is that? Has there been any suggestions in the states about
2: that? My understanding is no. I actually saw his agent in the Bahamas last week, um, uh, Bud Martin. He actually represents Cam and Mark Leishman as well. So you know, you there was it certainly could put two and two together and maybe think that that was possible. But, I mean, he told me in no uncertain terms he wasn't going. I don't know why he would tell me that if there was a chance. He could have danced around it. So I do not think Jason Day is going. Look, he's got a big family, five kids. Um, he, he, look, let's be honest. The week of the Australian Open, he went to the Bahamas. He mm. didn't go to the Australian Open. Liv is playing a lot of overseas tournaments. Australia, Singapore, mm. Uh, you know, they're, obviously they're going back to Jeddah. They're going to Spain. They're going to England. I don't really think that's what he wants. That's not his style. He's he's pretty much stayed here in the U.S. Uh, and not gone back very often. So um, I, it just wouldn't make sense for him, you know, to, to do that and, and then pick up the schedule where he's going to have to do that, you know, a pretty good bit.
1: Well, Bob, it's a it's – a... Disruptive seismic time in golf. Uh, A lot of us probably think it's a pretty sad time for golf, but uh, there is news left, right and centre. As always, thank you so much uh, for your time on the program today.
2: Joy talking to you. Thank you.
1: David Zarakis, the former bomber, um, best and fairest winner, Anzac medal winner, uh, retired at the end of 2021, but uh, it's fair to say he hasn't put the feet up on the couch. It's time to speak now to the former bomber. Well, after 226 games over 13 seasons with the Bombers, you could forgive David Zarakis if you just want to do a bit of light fitness uh, in retirement, but he's done anything but uh, Survivor, and now he's getting stuck into Ironman triathlons as well. And David's been good enough to join us. Hello, Dave. Hello, Jules. I'm very well. How are you, more importantly? uh, Bustleton, it's one of the big uh, Ironmans here in Australia. You did it last weekend. Uh, How have you pulled up?
3: Uh, yeah, well, four days on, I'm I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, the uh, Sunday night afterwards, I uh, yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight to see me walking. And uh, Monday morning, waking up, the ankles are a bit sore and the knee and, and stuff like that. But um, once I got to Tuesday, I was walking fine and actually, uh, yeah, I want to start training again <laughs> already. Um, I'm getting a bit itchy because I've had a couple of days off, so the body's really good. I'm I'm very happy the way I pulled up and uh, I'm injury free, which is the most important thing.
1: So it was your first full Ironman. What what did you expect going in? Did you have a a time in mind? Was it as brutal as you thought it would be? What was your overall experience?
3: Yeah, so I did I did Melbourne Half Ironman um, November, so three weeks ago. Um, so it was a quick back turnaround, especially that was my first ever half Ironman, and then going into my first full. Um, so it was a very quick turnaround, and and everyone that I spoke to, my coach, and and everyone from even the Ironman circle said that. Two half Ironmans definitely do not equal a, uh, a full. It's um, it's double the distance, but it's about six times the effort. So I really wasn't expecting to go in with any time. Um, I did Melbourne in just under four and a half hours, but that didn't mean I was going to do the full in nine, if that makes sense. So um, I really just wanted to go in and, and be my first Ironman just to finish it. That was honestly the aim. Um, I didn't want to cramp in the run. I wanted to get all the nutrition right and, and so I could finish the line in in a good time and um to do that i was very happy with uh i think it was 10 19 in the end um so i was very happy with that um and that just sets up the foundations now for for next year and beyond that um i know kind of the, the rigors of the half and a full now i know where i need to improve on um in terms of all three disciplines and um, yeah it was a great learning experience uh, for me and, and now we push on to uh to next year
1: a cameraman I used to work with at Fox Sports, Tony Escott, used to, he did Bustledon and he? he did a few other Ironmans. He loved the ride, didn't mind the run, but hated the swim. Is there, <laughs> is there a leg that you you find more difficult or you don't enjoy more than the other two? Or is it sort of across the board you don't mind them all?
3: Yeah, that's the number one question you get asked, which, which one is your, uh, your strongest or which one do you hate? Um, to be honest, I, I love all three. Uh, it's a weird one to say, but um like obviously with footy running's our our number one strength um but i did a lot of cross training with bike and swim throughout my career various times injury or or whatnot um so i do love all three um i actually hate or not hate i dislike ocean swimming but when you got to swim in the melbourne bay during winter that's probably the reason why you hate it (laughs) um but the bustles and swim i actually really loved it um the, the two days before the race the conditions were perfect in the bay and we're actually swimming over some stingrays and, and that kind of thing. It was actually beautiful, um, flat water there, but during the race, the, um, the current was quite strong. So the swim wasn't great, uh, on the day, I actually vomited when I came up. Sorry for the listeners out there. Morning now. <laughs> actually, as soon as I came out of the salt water, I just swallowed too much. Um, cause it was like a washing machine in there with all the competitors. So that wasn't enjoyable The swim. Um, and then the bike and run. Yeah, it's, uh, they're tough legs. Um, you're going out to the forest in uh, in Bustleton. There's no atmosphere whatsoever out there. And we had some heavy crosswinds at certain points. So that was um, quite challenging uh, in the bike leg um, to finish that. And then the run part was um, it was a 10, 10 lap, uh, sorry, 10k four lap course. So um, for, for a fair bit of it, uh, you're out on your own kind of in some dry barren land. Um, out just uh, in, the, in, the, in there with no atmosphere whatsoever. So that was quite challenging. But when you came back along the foreshore, there was so much support there and people cheering you on. Um, and there was a couple of little activations there. So that was quite, uh, quite fun um, to do. But all three disciplines in training, I, I, I do enjoy uh, and love because I kind of try and mix it up uh, all throughout the week.
1: It's been a former bomber, David Zarrakis, who completed his first Ironman triathlon last week in Bustleton WA. We got a text earlier in the week, uh, David, from uh, someone saying, did Stephen Baker do it as well off the back yeah. of also a PCL injury about eight weeks prior? Yeah,
3: he was telling me about that when I um, when I met up with him over here, um, about the PCL, which is, yeah, quite brutal, the fact that he did that. But, yeah, so he um, he did it with a couple of mates, Um I think they did a half Ironman early in the year, and um, they were raising some money. Um, they were wearing these special um, tops. I don't know the full story um, behind it, but um, they were wearing some tops and raising some money. And um, yeah, Bakes just wanted to do it. He, he did a talk over here about mental health and resilience and and um, stuff like that. So um, he, I mean, if you ever talk to him about it, um, he can tell you more about the story. But I know it was um, off the back of um, his obviously great mate passing away, and um, he wanted he had some mental health stuff and wanted to get out and one of his mates grabbed him and said let's do some triathlons and running and physical activity and he said it's been amazing for him um, out there and um, as I said I think he did a half Ironman and then wanted to finish a full Ironman so they got a group boat together and came over here and um, as I said raised some awareness uh, around mental health and they did a live podcast over here and um, yeah he he finished it um, and battled along Um, he's he's a very funny man Um, (laughs) we went for a swim the day before the event or two days before the event, and um, he said, "What do you mean we're going for a swim? Like, aren't we resting for for the Ironman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, I'm on a, I'm on a heavy taper here, and, um, and then he rocked up. We had no wetsuit on. He, he just wanted to swim in board shorts. Oh boy! Um, and we were yeah, we were in full wetties and everything, and he just wanted to swim in board shorts. And his bike, he had problems with. And oh, he's a very funny one. Um, Bakes when you get him. Uh, in those circles so but yeah they completed it and had a great time as well
1: at least he wasn't tagging you the whole way around um where, where's your passion for this come from david and and, and where, where do you want to take it
3: yeah i mean you mentioned Survivor before i um obviously finishing playing footy i didn't really know what i wanted to do um after footy and then when i went on australian survivor it just kind of brought my passion for competition back and and competing and and then I kind of just sat around for a couple of months thinking, all right, where where can I take that? Um, I've always loved just yeah, running, bike, swimming kind of thing. i always loved those disciplines. Like I said, i trained for that uh, a lot during my career. And um, yeah, earlier this year I put an Instagram post up um, saying that I'm interested in potentially compet- competing in an Ironman and then Abby Holmes, one of my good mates, um, she said, oh, I think I've got the perfect guy for you. Um, his name's Brad from um, Hurt Locker in Richmond and um, I walked in the doors of Hurt Locker and, and met him. And straight away, he, um, he said, let's do it. Like, let's train for a, for an Ironman. I'll, I'll write out your programs for you and we'll do this together and, and that kind of thing. And I reckon within a week, I was hooked. Um, I feel like I've said to a few people in the lead up to Busso that I feel like I'm 18 again, um, back before I played footy. I, I, I lost a passion for footy um, at, the end of, yeah, at the end of it, um, just with everything that went on. And, and then all of a sudden with this, I'm absolutely just, passionate about it, love it, love competing, love training. Um, I love traveling too. So this combines kind of traveling around either Australia or the world and just be able to compete, race, um, all that stuff. So, mate, it's um, it's something that I'm loving at the moment. And um, while I'm loving it, I'm taking full advantage of it. And uh, yeah, seeing where, uh, where this can go. I mean, um, some of the people out there though that are unbelievable athletes. So who knows whether I ever get to that level? But I'll uh, I won't leave any stone unturned because I'm just absolutely loving it.
1: So what's on the calendar for 2024?
3: Yeah, so I've got um, the half Ironman in Tasmania, Feb 4, and then I've got Geelong in March, um, and then I'm going back to doing the full in Port Macquarie in May, uh, and then I'm heading over to the states. Um, I don't know if you remember when I played footy, I used to go to Boulder yep. by myself um, to train. Yeah, so I found. Boulder actually has the half Ironman there in um in June, so um I'm uh, I'm heading over there in June to to race that, which would be awesome. I've already set up with a family I used to stay over there with um, that I'm coming over in summer, and um they're all for it. So that's uh that's kind of the next six months. I've got probably four races, uh four Ironman races over the next six months. Um and uh, yeah, it might add maybe a two X U Series in over summer, um just for like a warm up event for those. So. That's uh, that's until June booked, and then we'll see what the end of the year looks like uh, in a couple of months. So
1: training obviously keeps you busy, but for those that aren't aware, what else is keeping you busy these days?
3: Uh, mate, to be honest, I, I just graduated uni or just finished uni, so I did a, a Bachelor of Property and Finance um, at Deakin. So that was keeping me busy for quite a while, and I have uh, got graduation in Feb for that. So there might be something on the finance side, um, in the finance and stock market uh, in the near future that I start to um, head towards. Uh, I've got a, a connection there with a company that I might be doing that. But other than that, what's kind of keeping me able to do Ironman training full-time is um, honestly my uh, Instagram um, work. I do a lot of stuff with brands, um, digital marketing, advertising, um, do a lot of gigs, appearances, um, that kind of stuff, and a bit of ambassador role. So um, like this year, I was an ambassador with Abby Holmes, with the MC, MCG network and, and stuff like that. So, there's just a few things that are, are ticking over nicely at the moment, which is allowing me to um, basically train full-time as, a, as an Ironman athlete. And um, we'll, uh, we'll see how long that lasts um, and how long I can train full-time for that. So, um, But, yeah, there's a few things in the works for, uh, for the future with finance and property, I think.
1: Yeah, keeping you nice and busy. Just before I let you go, you mentioned towards the end of the, your footy career that the, the passion for footy disappeared. Is it rekindled at all in terms of you know watching a bit of footy?
3: Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So, uh, uh, the the passion for playing um, wasn't there. So, when I played club footy in 2022, I I didn't really enjoy it. I only enjoyed basically the two hours on the weekend, but didn't enjoy anything else part of it. So, that's sorry. I meant as a player, I lost the passion. But Amy and I, my partner, we've been to basically 15 Essendon games a season in the last two years. So, we've probably been to 30 games, um, watched other games. Um, I watched probably every... I watched more footy on TV now that I did when I was playing. So the passion as a fan is there. I'm loving it as a fan, um, but purely that, like everyone keeps up, or people keep asking me to go play, um, play for their team or whatever. And I'm, I've got no interest in that. Um, I might play one or two um, off games, um, but that's about it. Like I've got no passion to, to play footy again as a proper season, um, I'm loving the Ironman, but I'm definitely passionate as a fan. Uh, as I said, we enjoy going to the footy; we love it. Um, we'll plan to probably go to another 15 games this year with Essendon. Um, love being connected to the club still in that regard. Uh, as a pure, uh, sorry, as a pure past player and fan.
1: Just finally, you probably get reminded more than I do. And it's been 7,000 days since the Bombers won a final. Um, yep. c- can we break well, that? Can, we, can we break that? Can we break that drought next year?
3: Uh, yeah, mean me and you are long suffering uh, fans now that we, we I can say that. Um we wanna uh we want to win a final. Um I I mean I don't know. I mean the boys the started the season so well last year and then obviously faded. Um I definitely reckon they're moving in the right direction with the list. We we've we've got a few holes we need to fill and obviously a key back was one of them. Um and then we do need that kind of small dynamic forward that that kicks us potentially forty or fifty goals and hopefully Gresh can, can provide that for us. So I think we're definitely moving in the right direction. Um, there's still some holes there. Um, if we can sneak into the eight um, and give the give the fans a bit of a buzz next year, it'd be awesome. Um, but I know that they're, they're loving Scotty down there and, and the program that's been set up um, around him. And, and I think it's more, it's just the driving of high standards, which I've heard that everyone keeps um, saying at the footy club that, that needed to improve. And, and that has been improving over the last 12 months. So, Hopefully that can uh, work. I mean, I'd love, like I said, as much as you for us to win a final and I'd be there in a heartbeat to uh, celebrate with the boys and and be able to enjoy the occasion. Even though it wasn't me playing, it it still, I think, as a footy club. I've I've been an Essendon person since I was born. So just want the club to be successful and get back to that because, yeah, we definitely definitely been a long time coming um considering growing up i saw two flags in seven years and <laughs> and thought that was kind of that was kind of the norm that maybe every six seven years you win a flag but yeah it hasn't happened for a while
1: now uh, fingers crossed uh dave great to catch up and uh, well done with everything you're doing uh it's brutal on the body of the iron man but uh you've got a great passion for it uh good luck with all your adventures in
3: 2024 cheers thanks jules appreciate it. appreciate it mate
1: on well, North Melbourne have headed north to Queensland for a training camp and one man that knows all about the conditions up there is their new assistant coach and former Brisbane Lion, Jed Atcock, and he joins us this morning. Morning, Jed. Morning. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, how's it been up there the last few days? Uh, nice and hot looking at some of the pictures we've seen back here in Melbourne.
4: It has been. It's been a, It's been a ripper trip so far. Um, we've got another day to go today, our main session today, um, which looks like it's going to be another you know, 30 to 35 degree days. So it's, it's been really nice for the boys and it's been really good to get away as a group. Um, and I think some reports they haven't done it for quite a while. Obviously COVID um, came through as well. So that took out that that time frame. But um, it's been great to get away. And uh, all the new new staff and new players spent a bit of time together and a bit of bonding. It's been good.
1: Is that the most important part of a, a trip like this? Yeah, you get to do some hard training. You get to do some hard training in the heat, but particularly with... Such a young group as well. Is it just getting together, you know, having discussions, getting to know people more? Is that, is that the main thing you get out of a camp like this?
4: A big part of it it is, yeah. Um, it's nice to get away and train and, and get into the heat and, and do some training in the heat. But the main part is just to get a, get away and spend time together and build relationships. I think we've got 10, 10 new players and you're throwing a handful of new staff in there as well. So um, just being able to spend time together and, and um, get to know each other from a, on a deeper level um, is probably more important than what you get out of the, the skills and and the game sense stuff that we're doing now.
1: So you've come from the Brisbane Lions, a, a mature group that uh, you know, with one kick off a premiership last year. You've come to North Melbourne. There's more teenagers at North than at the Taylor Swift concert. Has it struck <laughs> you that uh,
4: just how young this group is? Not too not really. Like when I got to Brizzy in 17 when I came back up with, with Faggs. It,
3: it was, it was very similar. <laughs>
4: um, so, you know, part of the appealing thing with North was, was that, and, and that able to come in and, and have a bit of an impact and stamp you, um, have a bit of a, you know, how, how you um, coach and believe and, um, and just see them grow and develop together. And um, when, when you can get that going and when you can get it right, it's, 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 such an amazing thing to see and and being at Brisbane and being able to see that and come out the other side and, and, you know, be, you know, four points off a premiership. Um, You know, hopefully that's what we can build here at North and um, there's a lot of similarities from what Brisbane were at seven years ago. That's for sure.
1: Why was this the right move for you at this stage of your your life and and your coaching career?
4: Well, there's always a time (laughs) that I'd been at Brisbane pretty much for 20 years. Um, 12 was a, player and seven as a coach and, and one year at the Bulldogs in between all that. But as a coach and, or even as a player to a certain degree, but as a, as a coach, you, you've got to continue to learn and um, see different things, get into, you know, different coaches, different philosophies, different organisations. Um, so for me personally, if I wanted to, um, if I want to continue my coaching and, and look to become a senior coach, if that's what I want to do, then part of, part of development is, is getting out there and learning new things and seeing you know, seeing footy through a different, different lens, and um, this opportunity came up. So, um, that, that's probably the main reason for me, really. There's some other personal stuff that I, um, was part of it, but mainly it was just getting out of, you know, away from Brisbane after seven years. And it was, you know, I love Brisbane, it was, they've been amazing for me, but it was just time was right to for me to now start exploring a little bit for myself. Um, What's next?
1: Is there a bit of a fire in the belly there to be a senior coach, or is that something you're still working through?
4: Maybe. It's, it's so early still. I'm 38. So, um, you know, the good thing about North now is we've got such a young group of, of coaches, um, and hopefully we can all develop together and, and come along the journey with with Clarco and, and the group. So, um, that's not even on my radar really at the moment. And if, if it happened, it happened. But right now, it's about just, you know, getting to know the boys and, and the other coaches and, and trying to get this group um, on a journey and, and try and get them quicker rather than slower, but um, back up where they should be.
1: Speaking of North, new North Melbourne assistant coach, Jed Adcock, which part of the grounds, Clarko, got you in charge of?
4: Nah, so still the back. So still the defence with, so where I finished last year and, and ex Xavier Clark's come across and he's doing the forwards. And I think he did the forwards at Richmond last year as well. So um, so it's all pretty similar for what we're, where we've come from. Um, and I think what's been really good with Clarko, he's sort of allowed us to have our own philosophy. And, um, and I think that's part of the reason he brought us, was to get some new ideas and um, see what you know, our thoughts are and how the game's played and where we can you know, look to change things and um, bring in new ideas. So that's been really important. It's been really nice um, bit of breath of fresh air to, to come in and, you know, and just do things completely different to what's been done potentially
1: before. Is there a bit of a blank canvas with the the North Melbourne defence? Obviously, Griffin Logue's still working his way back from the ACL. Ben Mackay's gone across to the Bombers. I noticed uh, hearing from Charlie Combin the other day, looks like he's going to play some time in defence. got Toby Pink across from the SANFL. You drafted a couple of defenders as well. Is it sort of a bit of a blank canvas in terms of how that defence is going to look like in 2024 and beyond?
5: There's
4: there's going to be some new faces, that's for sure. Um, And clearly, when you're in Middle of December, we haven't settled on anything at all yet at all. So um, I think the, the good thing for us now is that we we've, we've got plenty of time to really have a look at um, a lot of players and and try some new things. And as you mentioned, you know, Chom Charlie will be able to come down and and do a bit of work down there. Um, we've got some new draftees in, and I mean, Will Dawson's only 17 still; he's not even 18 yet. So um, we'll draft him and, and try and get him along the journey. Um, Colton McKechnie might spend some time down there. Uh, You've got Riley Hardiman now, so. Um, but there's some some older heads, which is really important to have, and especially in defence as well with Aidan Cor and Luke, Luke McDonald. So um, you know, so there'll be some new faces, but at the same time there'll be, some, there'll be some old heads. And when I say old heads, they're probably only 28 years of age too. So um, but some more experienced, wise heads, which is really important when when you do have a you know group that, that aren't as, as experienced.
1: Will you still have Harry Sheezel at your disposal, or the midfield coach going to rip him out of your hands?
4: I think the mids and forwards coach are trying to rip them <laughs> out of my hands at the moment. So, no, he's... I mean, if you could have five Harry was you would. So, um, I think the good thing for us now is that we've, we've been able to really get some good talent through the door. And it's, it's our job now as, as coaches to really nurture that and try and help them develop um, and develop the right way, but quickly if we can. Um, but, I mean, Harry's, you know, such a good player and a unique player that you know, 12 months ago, I we was probably thinking it was a half forward and then all of a sudden he's a B and F winner coming off half back. So um, we'll just let that one settle for a while and see where we end up.
1: Before making the move, how much discussion did you have with Chris Fagan, particularly given you're you you know you're heading to North Melbourne and, and the senior coach, Alistair Clarkson, is someone that fakes knows so well?
4: <laughs> Not a lot. No, definitely wasn't something that was an open discussion, that's for sure. Um, no, but Chris has been really supportive of, of all that and, and he he's one that's always said that you know, five to ten years at one organisation as a coach, you know, it might be you know, you've got to keep learning and developing ourselves. We're, we're preaching for, for players to you know, learn and develop and, and then we've got to make sure that we do the same thing and it was just, at this stage of my career, it was just time to to go somewhere else and, and um, you know, see what else is out there and Twenty years, of pretty much at one footy club, is a long time at a footy club, and um, it was just important for me to, to see what else was
5: out there.
1: Just finally, before I let you go, a great friend of the SEN here has also joined you in, in the development space. Michael Barlow has he hit the ground running? He has. He he reckons
4: he's pulling the boots on today. That's how well he's going. So, um, no, nah, he has been terrific. He's been once again. He's had clearly a lot of success at what he did with Roby, and he's been. When you're at the VFL level and the head coach, you, you spend a lot of time in the development role. So him being the head of development is really, really. Um, they're yelling at me right now. Of course I'm he talking is. To you. So um, no, he's been he's been terrific for the group and um, gets on well with all the players. I think no one can say a bad word about the about him. So um, he's settled in nicely. He's tour guiding us on the Gold Coast at the moment. Been here for a couple of years when he lived here, so um, he's showing us around.
1: Please. You know more about the area than he does. Let's be honest. Uh, Gold
4: coast, I don't actually. Wow. No, he does. He lived here. So, yeah. But um, he's driving anyway.
1: Beautiful. Hey, Jed, uh, good luck with the new gig. Uh, enjoy the rest of the camp up there in Queensland. And uh, we look forward to catching up throughout
4: 2024. Cheers. Thanks, Julian. Appreciate
1: it. Well, Kane Pittman had a great job as a Milwaukee Bucks beat rider. He came back to Australia for a few years and now he's left us again. He's back in the States full time and he joins us from Las Vegas this morning. Morning, Kane.
5: Morning, Jules. Always a pleasure to chat with you. What happened? Australia get too much for you, did it? No. Well, the problem was I came back over here for the playoffs last year in the NBA finals and I just had a little bit of a sniff of the uh, excitement of the NBA and I, I found a way to get back over here. There is a lot going on in Las Vegas at the moment.
1: It's become a sporting capital, Las Vegas. So the NBA in-season tournament, uh, you've got two matches today. Just uh, overall, what how's it received over there, the in-season tournament? I mean, there's been some great games. The courts are interesting. Um, but w- what's the sort of feel on the ground about the, this tournament?
5: Well, I think the buy-in from the players has been the main thing. And it's really been led by LeBron James. He gave it the tick of approval and he was playing competitively as we've seen in terms of uh, trying to win and trying to win this NBA Cup, I think everyone follows. And I was curious about how many fans would be in Las Vegas and what sort of reception it would be in the city. And yesterday, over the last few days since we've been here, it was a little bit quiet. It was a slow build, but now that all four teams are here, just walking around this morning, the hotels and the casinos around there, there's fans everywhere running into an Australian fan who flew uh, just for four days for this tournament, so there is a lot of excitement, and uh, I think everyone's ready for this thing to tip off. Yeah,
1: it's a great doubleheader: the Bucks and the Pacers, followed by the Lakers and the Pelicans. Speaking of the Bucks, you used to be a beat writer for the Bucks. I noticed you you caught up with your old mate, the one and only Giannis Antetokounmpo. Who, from the bits I've seen, he's had a bit of a crack at one of our own, Joey Ingles.
2: <laughs>
5: well, I do think that uh, one of the one of the great things about Giannis since he did come over to the US is. He's been finding ways to assimilate with the, the American culture. And some of that is trash talking. And he played with Joe Ingalls last year. And there might not be a better trash talker in the NBA than Joe Ingalls. But I think he's picked up uh, a few tricks there. And uh, it's, it's always a lot of fun. He was in pretty good spirits yesterday. It was his birthday. So uh, he came out to Vegas for his birthday. I think he was feeling pretty good about that.
1: Okay, you deal with a lot of big egos, a lot of different personalities with NBA superstars. But from afar, Giannis seems pretty down to earth.
5: He really is. And I spent around two years with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, covering that team, every practice, every game. And from the first time I met Giannis, he went out of his way to introduce himself, ask about where I was from, ask about my family. And he's done that the whole way through. Yesterday was the first time I'd seen him in person in four years. And he still did the same thing. He remembered everything. He remembered some of the conversations we had in the past. So it's pretty typical of his personality, but it's certainly not the norm for someone who has done so much throughout his career.
1: Cain, the Josh Giddy situation still bubbling away, not surprisingly, booed heavily again on the road against the Rockets yesterday. What's the feeling on the ground about this story and where it's headed?
5: Yeah, certainly from people that uh, work in the media or, or uh, around the situation, it's been mixed because uh, I, don't, I think while the investigation continues to unfold, whether that, that is from the NBA or from uh, the local authorities, there is just no uh, clear answer in the public to, to have a, a strong opinion on it. So I think there is a lot of wait and see, and I think the thing that is probably not helping Josh Giddy just purely from a basketball point of view at the moment is that he's not playing that well, despite the fact uh, the Thunder are having a great start to the season.
1: Proudly family owned and operated since 1989, statetransport.com.au. Essendon Nissan has Xtrell, Cashkai, and Navara in stock for immediate delivery. Essendon Nissan, too easy. The captain's run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back to the show. Julian to with you for the final hour before we hand over to Cam Luke for afternoons and then Andy and Gazy to bring you home on the run home three till six. The big story in the world of sport today has been John Rahm officially signing with Live Golf. He has since spoken on Fox News in the United States. Uh, he is an extended version of that, all thanks to the new Sherry Tiggo 7 Pro SUV.
6: Yeah, good evening. Uh, well... As you can see now, it's uh, it's official. Uh, this is me finally saying, uh, after all the rumors, some of them were true, and uh, I have officially joined uh, Live Golf.
0: So, why do you make that decision, and what's behind it for you?
6: You know, it's it's not an easy decision because uh, I've had a really successful career and uh, I've been very happy, but. There's a lot of things that Live Golf has to offer that were very, very enticing. Right, starting with team golf. Uh, being part of a team is something that's been really big for me throughout my career. I was part of the Spanish national team from the ages of 14 till I graduated college. Uh, I was part of the Arizona State golf team, uh, and you know, as a pro, you don't have that chance very often. And if you're European or American, you barely have that chance. Right, so. It's something that is very, very fun uh, to play for something more than just yourself. And simply the growth that Live Golf has brought to the game of golf, right? It's something fresh, it's something new, something with a ton of potential and opportunity. and something I'm really excited about.
0: It's been reported that this deal is over three years, as much as $600 million. Is that true?
6: <laughs> I can't comment on any of that. Uh, Nor do I want to. Anywhere near that uh, number? It's private business. It's private, and it's going to stay private.
0: Um, You've said before that it wasn't about the money. But it's a bit of a change from what you've said before, uh, talking about PGA and LIV. Mm -hmm.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And listen, it was was a great offer. It's... Yeah, we're
0: going to play a sound bite there, but go ahead. You, you were saying the difference.
6: <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. Uh, yeah, it's the money is great. Obviously, is wonderful, but what I've said before is true. I do not play golf for the money. I play golf for the love of the game and for the love of golf. But as a husband, as a father, and as a family man, I have a duty to my family to give them the best opportunities and the most amount of resources possible. And that's where that comes in, right? Obviously it is a factor, and it was an important one obviously in, in this decision, but there's many other things like I mentioned earlier that make it so exciting, right? Uh, once you get past that, uh, the love of the game and wanting to grow it to a global market, being part of the team, being a captain, hopefully being a leader to teammates, it's something that is so, so special that you know it makes me wanna work harder than I have till now to actually prove myself. Uh, and you know, being a European, growing growing up being a fan of uh, Atleti de Bilbao. Hopefully some kids in the future growing up in Spain, they want to be part of this team uh, that I'm going to build. right? It's something that uh, hopefully I'm related to for a very long time, hopefully until I die, and uh, I can make it something very special.
0: Yeah. What about uh, the tradition of the PGA Tour? Obviously you started on the PGA Tour. Um, It gave you the break at the beginning. Uh, For the people who say, Listen. This is a this is about uh, the Saudis coming in and really taking over a sport, buying a sport. That's the criticism. How do how do you answer that?
6: Well, I can't speak for for anybody, uh, and and let alone PIF or 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 anybody related to that, right? But uh, you know, nobody's forcing us to do this. This is our own choice. And if the product wasn't good. I don't think people would be making this job. I certainly wouldn't be doing it because, uh, again, I've had a great platform on the PGA Tour, and I'm forever grateful for the platform they've given me. If, if lucky and, and things go well in the future, I still want to be part of that platform, right? Live Golf gives me the freedom to be able to play golf uh, when it doesn't conflict with the PGA Tour or DP World Tour, and I certainly want to be a part of that as well in the future.
0: Yeah, um, you've been critical of the, of the format before, is there any guarantee that you're going to get some changes uh, in that? It's 54 holes, it's a shotgun start and all that stuff?
6: Uh, well, um, I know captains have a say and I know they listen to the players, right? You're part of the organization, so uh, I'm looking forward to actually having some conversations and giving them my opinion and and uh, maybe some seeing, seeing some changes for the best in the future. Uh, but my goal with this is to grow the game of golf, right, to make it better, whatever that may be. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an ambitious person, but I'm not a greedy one, right? I know I can't have everything, so uh, there's some things I'll have to sacrifice. And for right now, that seems one that I, can, that I can live with.
0: Yeah. What do you think for the guys that are on the PGA Tour now watching this big move, what do you think happens to the PGA Tour with you moving over? Maybe there are others that are going to fill out your new team. Um, what do you think?
6: I certainly hope they all accomplish what they've set out to accomplish when when the top players got together during uh, during this movement and this changing environment we've had in golf, right? And uh, and my message to them is: I really hope they can accomplish what what the goal is and what the goal will be. Uh, I'm very thankful for the work many of them have done. Uh, I would say highlighted by by the names that come to mind are Patrick Canley, Rory and Tiger Woods that uh, they've spent a lot of time in meetings and phone calls and learning about what the future of the game may look like and uh, I want to say thank you and I truly hope uh, their resolve is what they want. Uh, this wasn't anything personal with them, it was a choice for me and my family and the better of our future and uh, uh, I hope all the friends that I made still, you know, stay my friends because I certainly am not going to change, and who I am doesn't really change.
0: Do you think the PGA deal comes together? Do you think the the merger or whatever it becomes is going to work?
6: I certainly hope the best for the future, right? That's all I can say. Uh, whatever makes golf better. Uh, I've said numerous times in interviews with people listening that don't know that I want to I wanna leave the game of golf at least in Spain, in a better state than I found it. The great Seve Ballesteros was able to do that from what he started till he died. Game of golf was very, very popular as opposed to when he started. So hopefully, I can do my part to increase it, right? And if I can do a little bit in Spain and maybe the rest of the world, uh, that will be a very su- successful career, at least in my mind. And I hope that solves whatever issues may be right now in the game, and we can actually enjoy. Yeah really good healthy competition and the best can play against the best.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Seve and he's your icon, uh, Spanish mm-hmm. legend, uh, won the Masters in 1980-1983. We have a great side-by-side picture of, of you both putting on green jackets and you obviously had that this past year. What do you think Sevi Ballesteros would say about this moment in golf and what's happening here and your move today?
6: I would like to think that he would support me, uh, given where he came from and how he started playing golf. Uh, I would like to think that he would want the best for me, and he was certainly an ambitious man as well, very charismatic. I wish I had a tenth of his charisma. Um, I, I certainly think he would be supporting me in this endeavor, trying to accomplish my goals. Right? Uh, he was certainly a pioneer in his, in his age and in his career, and. Uh, I hope again, I hope I can live up to even half of what he was able to do.
1: So that was John Rahm in the States on Fox Sports uh, for the all-new Sherry Tigo 7 Pro, available now for just $39,990 drive away. So you've heard uh, the interview there. So if you just missed the start of it, I wouldn't confirm the, the reported figure of $600 million. He said two of the big reasons he's doing it is he loves team golf. And also growing the sport—it's something fresh, it's something new. When he was asked about the fact, in the past he has criticised the format of 54-hole shotgun starts. He said, "Well, captains do have their say," and he's co- he's looking forward to having uh, sharing his opinions on how it all should work. And he also said he's got a—he doesn't play golf for money, but he's got an obligation uh, to his family. Just a few—if you have got a. Thought on it. Give us a call. one 736 736 Got plenty coming through off the 40 Winks temper. ram going to live is awesome. The PGA has been controlling golf and its behavior in recent years is a testament to their monopoly thinking. PGA is a USA comp not interested anywhere else. Also BS about blood money. Saudi dollars are everywhere in soccer in Formula 1 in the US. And also last time I looked, we spit petrol in our cars obtained from the Saudis. Golfers become too linear, so this is a great outcome. Give me a spell, John Rahm. It's money only, says another. I can't listen to this repugnant arrogance when I know, as everyone does, that there are people living in poverty, says Boris. Another one says it's all for the money. Uh, another one says who needs to le- listen to these greedy golfers, Um, You can't knock his decision, says the cat from Sandhurst. Of course, he is a hypocrite. I'd love to be called a hypocrite with $300 million in my bank account. So that's just a snapshot of some of the thoughts. It is hard when you hear, and this is not just golf, but when you hear multi, 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 multi-millionaires say they've got to make the best financial decision for their families, that is a little bit uh tough to take and look he was very strong very strong on the fact you know live tournaments mean nothing it means something to win the memorial and it means something to win these other tournaments and now he's joining Live Golf. It is a little bit tough to swallow. Uh, I'm sure Andy and Gazy, who are pretty passionate about this topic, will have plenty to say uh, coming up on the run home. You can also give us a call at one 736 736 Cam Luke, as well as part of Midday Madness. I'm sure that it'll be one of his uh, big topics. Uh, the Magic Man, I'm sure, will have an opinion on it as well. He's going to join us after the break to try and tip us in to some winners. That is, of course, Miles Fitzner. He's in the house, the magic man Miles Fitzner, whispering Miles Fitzner on the ha. cathedral uh, at the cathedral the other day, and a good person to ask about live golf because you were in Adelaide earlier this year for the tournament.
7: Hello, Jules. Uh, firstly, happy birthday to you. Uh, I know you, remi- you. you reminded me at the Christmas party it was your thirty third. And <laughs> did I? I wish. Yes, thirty third birthday. So happy no. birthday to you! And what a birthday present lining up um, like all of your um, idols in David Zaharakis to hear what he had for breakfast. And everything he's doing with the well, Spurs losing <laughs> the, West. the Man. Spurs losing the bloody West Ham wasn't a good start. Because yeah, I thought, gee, on your birthday, there would be an Essen flavour to this show. No, there wasn't enough to uh, be uh, honest. Hey, um, no, no, the live golf in Adelaide last year, uh, privilege of broadcasting it over there with Pat Welsh, of course, Nick Del Santo, and Matty Rogers. It's Matty Rogers has played in two uh, World Cups in two codes. He said it's the greatest sporting event he's ever been to in his life. I tend to agree. A lot of people are torn in regards to the money and Mm. it's a totally different argument and and a lot of people have great points. But uh, we just want to be entertained and we want the best of the best. And as a spectacle, um, Live Golf is is unbelievable as a spectacle. So in Adelaide, um, the tickets, what, hospitality sold out in 20 minutes. The GA for the first option sold out, I think, in like four hours. So it's um they put a good show on that's all we want as, as spectators in the golfs Elite so um yeah good luck to them lift. shout out to Nick and the team they're out. everything they do is absolutely fantastic but yeah I understand the purest argument but they'll get over that things do change
1: yep and they'll do it all again in Adelaide uh, next year uh now you, you your wheelhouse though is tipping winners and uh unfortunately for Sammy Edmund, your Friday night Best bet at the Valley last week got up.
7: Yeah, so with the listeners of this show especially will know that every time Sammy actually backs one of the ones on Friday nights that it goes under, and then every other time for the last six weeks, um, they've won. So we've had one go under, which was the one Sammy backed, but last week and a few before (laughs) that. So this Friday night, I'll give it to you off the top. I'll just try to find the absolute lock for multi-in. Race three, number one. Um, our crack and Rosie from the Nichols Yard, better than even money. That should be the best on the card there tonight. Our Crackland Rosie, race three, number one at the Valley tonight.
1: So tomorrow it's the Ballarat Cup. Might be a little bit chilly in Ballarat tomorrow. It's on a great forecast here in Melbourne. A listed race, $500,000 worth.
7: That looks like a nice race, this one. Yeah, it is a good race. And it's always um, – or every horse gets an opportunity at Ballarat. It's a great track. Tommy Two play here. Um, ain't no deal and done. And Young Werther, they seem to be the two uh, that are going to be really hard to beat. Your Ruffies probably could even be a horse like um, maybe even a Midnight Blue, Downy um, and Change of Train. This is a horse that does have some ability. Happy to risk Foxy Cleopatra, Fajita Sand, Red Sun Sensation, Captain Evius. Happy to risk all of those. They're around $6 mark those two, so you can back both of them, hope for the best in the Ballarat Cup. Any other races in Ballarat you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, look, probably the best there. We'll go to race one, number five, Sunset Dreaming. It's short enough now, $1.70, bit of a multi-builder. But I will give you one here. Um, I don't normally do this, but uh, we'll go to race four, number 10, Miss Baltimore, Dean the End or Matty Williams. First up, this horse from an inside draw, $11 and $3.20, um, I think it'll place definitely. There's three dollars twenty to place, but I'm going to make it one of my better bets: eleven bucks and three twenty. Miss Baltimore in uh, race number four there at Ballarat.
1: Let's get across to the other side of the country. Group One Northerly Stakes, Zaki, short price favourite, getting on a bit though. Still, well, still good enough to win. Do you think it will win?
7: Uh, look, it should. It's got panels on these in regards to to its form lines. Um, Marachino going to make a, a, a test of it um, and putting some speed into the race. If you wanted probably the best of the locals, I'd probably go down to zip away again at 52 kilos, 15 bucks. We're with it last time, gate 14. It's probably the best of them um, at the 52, but you have to be with Zaki here outside of it. Zoom on and forgot you probably happy to risk a, a couple of them. I'd be Zaki. Um, Zip away a lot of good men. One, fifteen, sixteen. 16 those two that are right down in the weights. And don't rule out, even be optimistic. Um, it's probably the biggest ruffy We'll boot that home for Terry. But that, that's probably how I'm going to play it. Zaki on top, definitely.
1: Let's look at Sydney at Randwick, the $2 million, the Ingham. Uh, huge field, detonator Jack, the punter's elect. It looks like a tough one to find a winner.
7: It is. I'll probably stick with detonator Jack. He's running well. That's race seven, number two, detonator Jack. I'll stick with him. Um, not, I'm not going to be going too hard anywhere else other than probably Ascot on the weekend. I think um, race two, number two, Zewatica should be winning around 460 at Ramwick and race six, number nine, I'm in to win other two that should be winning up there, but detonator Jack and in the Inga, but a few of these other better bets are going to be in, uh, in the West.
1: Give us some of your best bets around the country. Uh, look,
7: I think race four, number four, Black Fantasy at Ascot. Uh, race 4, number 4, Black Fantasy. Race 7, number 10, Hanchi. I think you're getting a really good price for it still. 7, number 10. And in the last, Starry Heights, of course. Race 9, number 6, Starry Heights. Now, if Black Fantasy and Starry Heights are too short for you, uh, which I'm sure they are, um, you can probably just multi 4496 there at Ascot. And, um, yeah, looking forward to a big weekend. What have you got planned for your birthday? Uh, no, I
1: had a nice dinner at Silks last night with my wife, which was beautiful. Have and... you covered?
7: Have you covered you've done live? You've done live here. Have you covered the OnlyFans, Nick Kyrgios? No, I was going to bring that up in the last half an hour. That was a yeah. Was it a shock? Well, it is a big shock. It's
1: I'm not sure. Well, he makes announcements on OnlyFans. Will he say I'm not playing in the Australian what Open? What about via his well, OnlyFans? There might be a heap
7: of video content. One guy, one racket. Who knows? <laughs>
1: oh, <my God. laughs> the possibilities are endless on that one. Goodness oh. me, you're never a dull moment with Nick Kyrgios. Now we've got one here from Jesse. Best hipster in the world. His bank account must look like John Ram.
7: Is that true? Uh, not quite, Johnny Rams, at the moment. But I will say, yeah, what a deal. Um, I know, I love the the fact that, that the text machine's so divided on this. Oh, I mean, it is. It has been from the start. The end Lib of the Golf. day. The end of the day, though, is like everyone's quick to, and we do live in a society where we pot, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we we're, and we're known for it worldwide. there the, the, were a bit of tall poppy stuff, but I understand the level of of um hypocrisy in regards to... Don't go out and tell people it's because of this when everyone knows it's not. That's the problem.
1: Yep. Do a Brooks Kepka.
7: Yep, but that's fine. But there's not one person on this text machine, there's not one person sitting at home on their couch, or as Mark Fine would say, living in their mother's basement, right, <laughs> That that's not taking that money. So at the end of the day, just look... We're in yeah, the, but,
1: the, but the people that are sitting on their couch and, and uh, sending their messages are not Maltese.
7: No, I'm not. But I'm saying if you're in the same position... That, look, there's not many that aren't doing the same thing. And mate. that's fine. And that's fine.
1: But, John Rum, don't come out and say the tournaments mean nothing and, and winning yeah. a memorial means something and I hate the format and I don't need the money. I could retire tomorrow and live comfortably. Look, don't I, say all and that that's and then change fair, your mind. probably but
7: we get that in every game, right? We get that in the AFL where people say, I'll never coach again. They come out and re- coach again. They we, they say, well, they're going to retire. Then they come back for more money and, and come out of retirement. They say that they're all in it for the team when really behind the scenes all they want to do is win a Brownlow medal. Like – we're, we're, the world's full of it.
1: Yeah, and and you're entitled to change your mind on something. Yeah, and and
7: John Rahm just I guess has to be prepared to cop criticism for changing. Do you his know life. what you if can't prepared cha- to do? That that's fine. Do you know what you can't change your mind on? Tips, because once you tip them, and if you change your mind, then they come for you. So <laughs> best of luck to everyone on the weekend.
1: Ah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Happy birthday, mate. Uh, thank you very much. I've got a one for you. Uh, Gareth Hall will join us on Monday. What, what did you think of his suggestion that? A winner of an Adelaide Cup or a Perth Cup or both should get automatically into the Melbourne Absolutely. Cup.
7: Absolutely, it should be all the the majors: um, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Perth. Uh, should all be qualifications into the Melbourne Cup. Um, we've we've abandoned um, breeding stayers in this country, and we did it a long time ago, about twenty years ago, um, for the fact that everyone wanted two-year-old speed and they wanted it up and early. Uh, we need to put some. We need to put some. Money back into these staying races and qualifying staying races. It'll take time. They won't be great to start with, but you've got to put them up and put them up for four and five years and let people get in and breed these horses because stayers they take time. When you own them, you don't race them really till three because especially fillies because you're going to let um, you've got to let their hips and their pelvis develop more. You don't race those younger mm. horses like that. Um, invest the money in it uh, and, uh, and make them back qualifiers. We've got to make our great race great again because, really, in the last few years, it's been a bit lackluster.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good suggestion. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Fitzy's Form Lounge, of course, coming up midday on SEN track. Of course, what's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Tips and winners for us, Miles? Uh, thanks, mate. I certainly will. Well, there's been plenty of change around Luke Beveridge at the Noble. and one of the new faces in the coaching staff coming on as a development coach is 2012 Swans Premiership player Alex Johnson. He's joined us this morning. Morning, Alex.
8: Morning, Julian. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolute pleasure. How's life at the Kennel so far?
8: Yeah, it's been great fun. It's, uh, yeah, it's been something that I've sort of set my sights on over the last few years, getting back involved in the coaching ranks, and um, yeah, been been down there for three or four weeks now. Boys have been Training hard, which is, yeah, it's nice to be able to look on instead of actually going through a grueling pre-season. So it's a little bit different, but um, but loving it so far.
1: For those that are unaware, take us through your your coaching path. I know you did some work under Rhys Shaw uh, in your time at Sydney with the reserves up there, but just take us through your path since you returned to Melbourne.
5: Yeah,
8: so, yeah, as you said, the the stuff I did under Rhys Shaw, probably through that 2016, 17 when I was going through one of the uh, one of the number of knee, knee injuries I had up in in Sydney, so that sort of started my passion for it, I suppose, and then moved back to Melbourne in at the start of 2019. Took up a coaching playing role with the Northern Blues and Carlton Footy Club uh, for for that season. Did that for 19, and then the start of 20, and then obviously COVID hit, so the VFL sort of got disbanded then. Um, and then while I was doing that, I was sort of I was coaching at the Xavier uh, College as well with the with the first in there, with a great mate of mine, Sam Shaw, who played at Adelaide. Um, so, yeah, always had an involvement in the in the footy space since I did move back and, and then took up a role with the old Zabs this year. Um, so, yeah, moved into more of that senior footy. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've been loving it. And as I said, probably in the last six to 12 months, I identified that coaching was somewhere something that I wanted to do and, um, you know, to get back in and... With the doggies now is, is great.
1: So how did the first contact with the dogs come about?
8: Uh, I think it's just it's amazing, you know, the the network you build within. You know, I was only involved in in one AFL club really for a long period of time with Sydney. A bit of involvement with Carlton. You just you sort of build networks. I mean, someone like Matt Spanger has been at the doggies for a couple of years. Um, so you know, I caught up with him and, and made my intentions that I wanted to get back in and. I just had a few people talking on my behalf to, to different clubs. And then James Byrne, actually, the, the who was a senior coach at uh, at the Old Zavs who I was assisting this year, had known Bevo for years, got in contact there. And then you know, they just heard my name a few times, I suppose, from different avenues and started the ball rolling. They'd, they've obviously identified that they want to make a few changes in the coaching space, um, you know, with, with four new guys coming in this year. it's It's been a, been a sort of bit of a fresh... reset for them I suppose Um, and then yeah we just just went down the path of having conversations and a development coaching role was something they wanted to fill and um, you know sort of you know it it all fit and it all worked perfectly for me to take up that role.
1: So you're working with the first to third year players obviously you know the technical side of the game you know really well your career was flying and until those injuries came apart but in the development space given what you went through is, is that one of your strengths do you think working with young people?
8: Yeah, I think it is. I think that's something I identified when I was working with the the, uh, the school kids at Xavier. You know, you're working with those sort of 16, 17, 18-year-olds that have got aspirations to go on and play at the highest level. And now the guys that have come in, um, you know, I think perspective is something that I've definitely learnt over my journey. Um, I sort of think back to, you know, when I'm now I'm working with these guys that have just freshly got drafted, the five new guys were brought into the footy club. And I sort of think back to my time when I, Arrived in Sydney and you you learn things pretty quickly I suppose and uh, I you know I started my career a lot probably quicker than what I what I anticipated before I'd been drafted but I think that perspective piece and the resilience and things around that um, are something that I can definitely bring as well as obviously the footy IP and the and the, the way you actually go about it and play the game so said it is working with those guys it's also. You know, there's, we have a lot of roundtable discussions as, as the eight or nine coaches we've got here about where different things can change and where we can improve. And, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to all that sort of coming to fruition and a little bit more match sim and things like that within training at the moment. So it's, it's great to see.
1: we speaking to new Western Bulldogs development coach Alex Johnson, of course, 2012 Sydney Swans Premiership player. You've got a good batch of young guys to work with there, obviously, a fresh crop from the draft, including riley sanders uh i'm sure they've all impressed you so far but um who who are you really looking or who have you enjoyed working with and who do you really see a really bright future there for the western bulldog
8: yeah i think you know you obviously mentioned someone like riley sanders he's come in he's 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 very well prepared uh in terms of you know what i go off guys coming getting drafted whether it's sydney or other places um you know he seems like he's pretty well rounded and Super professional for an 18-year-old kid, um, but then there's you know guys that are in their sort of third and fourth year that uh, you know can can definitely come on and play a little bit more senior footy. Someone that I've really enjoyed so far is Buku Karmis. Um I think he's someone that has played a little bit of back and forward, and you know hopefully we can sort of settle him as a defender, um, and you know hopefully he can come in and have a bit of an impact at at that senior footy level.
1: Uh, what about Jed Busley? Bustlinger, there's a lot of high hopes, uh, high draft pick. You know, two years ago, now didn't play any senior footy uh, last year. What have you made of Jed so far?
5: Yeah, he's
8: been great to work with as well. He's he's super proactive. Um, you know, in terms of wanting to get better, wanting to improve. I think he, he came in obviously as a super talented kid, hampered with a shoulder injury from the from his under eighteen year. Probably doesn't help. You he already start on the back foot as an eighteen year old kid coming and finding a way at AFL level, and then coming in with an injury. Probably doesn't help you too much, um, but he, he put together some good VFL footy from what I've had a look at uh, so far in the first couple of weeks, and yeah, he's, he's impressed me with his with his diligence and professionalism, and you know he can only continue to improve, and hopefully he can he can continue to grow in that space and, and look to uh, look to push for. I've seen your opportunity at some point.
1: Just on the young guys that come into footy club these days, I mean, you're still a, a young man. It's only just over a decade since you entered the AFL system. But is there a big difference now, the, the, the young men, compared to when you were coming into the system, how well prepared they are, different personalities? How, how much has it changed even just in a, in a decade or so?
8: Yeah, that's nice to say I'm a young man. Sometimes when I look at these 18 year olds, I don't feel like it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it has changed. I think that, you know, I sort of think back to when I was coming through in under 16s, 17s, 18s. It was professional, but it's gone to an absolute, it's gone to another level now. And especially guys like, you know, I mentioned the Riley Sanders. He's, he's been in, you know, academies and things since probably the age of 15. Um, you know, obviously a Tassie boy, but moved over to Melbourne to concentrate on on the footy side of things and go to Melbourne grandma, I think that probably fast tracks his development a little bit as well. You you're obviously going to get guys that are better prepared than others. So I think there's still a wide ranging of, of, of kids that do come in, but I think the opportunities to prepare at that level at the under 17, under 18 level is, is a lot higher than what it was when I came through. So, the uh, the level of preparation is yeah it's pretty amazing to see. You've
1: come to the Dogs at a really interesting time. We've know that there's an external review going on. As we said at the top, there's been a lot of changes in the coaching staff. The club, you know, given the talent it's got, underperformed last year. Have you noticed there's a bit of, you know, what on the liver amongst the playing groups to to make sure that uh, they make every post a winner in 2024.
8: Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's definitely been a priority and there's, there's a clear shift. I mean, I, obviously you mentioned that noted as well in terms of the, the fresh faces they've brought in in the coaching space. Well, I think uh, the, the walking into a new facility as well at, at Whitten Oval obviously helps a, helps a lot too. Um, I think you know, they were sort of disrupted over the last 12 to 18 months with travelling around to different ovals and things like that. I think having a home base makes a massive difference. It makes the players connected makes the ability to do extras and, and get better a lot easier as well and a lot more accessible. So I think that definitely is a, a spring in the player's step. And, a, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next couple of months holds in the preseason, and then obviously being able to take that into, into the season proper.
1: And before I let you go, uh, given everything you went through with your knees and, and your body, ha- how is your body on a day-to-day basis? Can you Can you do everything you want to do? Or is there any restrictions given you went through so much trauma with your knees?
8: Oh, there's, there are, you know, slight restrictions, I suppose, but, you know, there are some times I've joined in training here and I think maybe I could still play. <laughs> but it's amazing what your, what your mind thinks you can do and your body probably can't. But um, no, I love running around. That was one of the questions I got asked, you know, when, when I was going through this process about the development coach was, you know, can you still run around? And yeah, I I'll still, I still, uh, still love running around and, and getting out there if there are Lack of numbers on the track, or whatever it is, in certain drills, I'll, I'll definitely put my hand up to jump in. Um, you definitely feel a little bit sorrier for yourself the next day with your knee, with my knee sort of being inflamed or whatever it is. But I can do majority of the things I want to do, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving being involved at this level. And the coaching side of things is definitely the next best thing to playing. So it's uh, it's really it's been really enjoyable for me so far.
1: Did the did the coaching reignite a passion for the game for you, or did you never lose that despite everything you went through?
8: yeah it definitely did. I think there was a time there probably through that probably towards the back end of 13 14, 15 I, I you know you sort of I tried to remove myself from the game when you' when you're training hard and you're not getting anywhere with your body um, and you're watching on every week it, it can be quite frustrating and uh, you know cause a, cause a bit of grief to yourself. So I think I think you know we mentioned Ray Shaw before he was he was a big driving factor in it saying, you know, you can still have an impact without actually playing. Um, and I think, you know, watching watching guys develop and if you can help them in any way that that definitely reignites the passion for the game. I've always loved footy, that's you know, why I've got back involved and, and that's why, you know, I was lucky enough to play at the highest level because it was such a passion of mine from such a young age. But, you know, I think seeing young guys come in and, and want to take a hold of their career and get better that, you know, it makes it all worthwhile.
1: Well, Alex, uh, congratulations on the new gig. Don't get any wild old ears about playing again. Just play your role as a development coach. Uh, good luck over the preseason, uh, and let's hope it's a great year for the Dogs in 2024.
8: Beautiful. Thank you very much for having me, join.